Welcome to Cursed Objects, a podcast about cultural history, politics, uh, and tat, above all else. Uh, My name's Dan Hancocks. I'm a journalist, author, and gosh-darned expletive. (laughs) And I'm joined, as ever, by... Dr. Cassidy, historian, broadcaster, and cockwomble. <laughs> no, no, please. I hoped it would be a little bit further into the episode before we got to that, but um, but Cash has gone right in there with it. Straight for the jugular, <laughs> yeah. always. Oh. That's exa- exactly the right phrase. If you haven't listened to Cursed Objects before, what we normally do is bring in an object that is uh, cursed, the clue is in the name of the podcast, and then spend... <laughs> somewhere between 45 minutes and an hour talking about what it is that has lent it that weight of cursedness mm. uh, and this week in is fact is it the weight of history is it yeah. the weight of time yeah is it the weight of liberalism yeah yeah i mean this Let's week discuss. this week all, all of those things actually um and in fact this week we will be putting a different type of cursing into cursed objects um and swearing down that we are uh, Stop it! Yeah, okay, sorry. Um, this week we are talking about swearing. So, yes, uh, th- this this week, Kasia, I brought in a book by Robert Pesto Peston, the senior ITV political editor, uh, you know, one of the two most prominent political journalists in the country, mm. along with, well, I guess it was Laura Koonsberg before she, she stepped down from the role at the BBC. But, you know, the, throughout the pandemic... Kunzberg and Arman Peston, uh, Pesto Peston, were the ones asking the first questions of Boris Johnson um, about, you know, pandemic response and stuff. You know, these are essentially these are the front line of the people that should be representing us, the the masses, mm-hmm. in de- in interrogating the politicians of our day. And it's a very important role. And I want you to remember that when I tell you that the book that I brought in is called WTF. Uh, what have we done? Why did it happen? And how do we take back control? The three weird questions that are sort of overlap and sometimes sort of contradict each other as, as the subtitle. But the book itself is called yeah. WTF. And that is the connection to the theme of, of swearing that we want to talk about this week. And when swearing becomes something that isn't really transgressive anymore. Mm. Um, you know, when swearing is transgressive, maybe we'll go back and talk about our relationships with swearing as children and adolescents mm. when it was pretty much the most exciting thing that could happen yeah. is someone you hear someone say shit that, that shouldn't or, or, or whatever uh, I should I should just put a little warning out actually probably at the start of this episode like um if you're easily offended by strong language <laughs> that's literally the, the fucking point of this episode so um but I think we won't be using swear words extraneously and in fact we'll be talking about when they are extraneous can i just ask yeah before we get on to this because boy oh boy i have many questions you're yeah. right about 
the questions that are asked in that title are absolutely. Shall so I go strange. through them again? Yeah. So, so yeah, it's called WTF, which I don't think anyone listening needs explaining what no. WTF means, yeah. right? Um, as an acronym, I wonder actually how old it is. Yeah. This is an internet era specific yeah, definitely, like acronym, definitely. right? And no one, I don't remember as a teenager ever writing down WTF in my handwritten, you know, <laughs> journal <laughs> or like saying to a school friend, what? Well, in no, your you, gel you might say you would say what the fuck, but yeah, yeah, in our gel pens. You would, no one was no one was saying what WTF. You know, it's the same way that you might say law. I suppose it's entirely twenty first century thing. But yes, the questions that are sprouting off the WTF of the title. Yeah. Um, and it's you know it's a book about what we I guess now might call the poly crisis. It's about Brexit. Mm. It's about it's it's the liberals' lament essentially is yeah. what this book is. And yeah. those so those subtitles are what have we done? We is an interesting yeah. inclusion who of that sentence. We? Yeah, yeah. I, I th- think that's fascinating. I mean, I think the, I'd, love, I'd love to know who like Robert Peston's imagined community is in the we. Which is exactly exactly mm. the right way of putting it, an imagined community. Uh, I think we is Britain and done is Brexit. Right, okay. <laughs> would be my reading. <laughs> okay. Um, why did it happen? Okay. And how do we take back control? Which is Again, we, how do we take back control yeah. when, when this is like someone with... He's basically a, a Remainer, of, yeah, I think. Yeah, but also he has a lot of political power as in the position that he is, right? Yes. He's in a really important, really trusted role. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, it's, I think it is really interesting because Robert Peston as a person, I think fascinating, very kind of like, I'm not, I don't, you know, I don't know much about his backstory. I do know some gossip about him, but I'm not going to tell it on the podcast and I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's the but, next, that's, you have to be a really top tier Patreon. Yeah, to hear the gossip, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think there's really strong, like, Jamie Oliver 90s energy mm. about Robert Peston. Mm-hmm. You know, the like, I've seen interviews with him mm. where he's literally, like, there, slouched with his arm, like, relaxed, relaxed man on holiday mode, right? Yeah, yeah. He's got his arm on the back of the chair. He's slouching in that chair. He doesn't have, he's not wearing a tie. Fuck the tie. Yeah, yeah. He's just there, and he's going, Mr. Prime Minister, could you explain the invasion of Iraq or something yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah. And you're like, I was watching this, and I was like, who let him in the room? Like, <laughs> but he's part Entitlement, of Entitlement, right? Well, Establishment yeah. entitlement. Yeah, but also this kind of idea of, like, a kind of, I don't know... There is like a symphony of words that are being like conjured in my mind. Mm. Laissez-faire, mm. no tie. Like, you know, these kind of like ideas of like boating shoes. I don't know, all of these things. The <laughs> constellation of Robert Peston, slightly too long hair. Do you know what I mean? Like all of these things are so, kind of... Sort of a faux casual kind of vibe? Is that part? Is it, I is... think I think it is. It's that kind of like, it's like I'm kind of like involved in politics, big P politics, Westminster politics. Mm. But hey, man... I'm, I'm one of, of the people. I'm kind of, you know, I'm one of the people. But the thing is, is that a lot of the people, who is Robert Peston's imagined community and how does he see himself in it? Because I think a lot of people would see Robert Peston and go, he is the quote unquote Islington dinner party, mm. like metropolitan mm. elite, right? And not the tribune of the people, which is sort of how he's maybe, maybe. positioning himself. And I mean, there's a lot of, yeah, the self-identification of senior political journalists, particularly Westminster journalists, mm. as truth kind of seekers, as, yeah. as, as you know, kind of in the way I alluded to before, as a representative, as the highest representative of the people against their politicians, mm. um, as opposed to what they really are, I would argue, which is, 
people are in such a closed world um, of, of kind of the political and media elites that their ability to remember what it is that the people as a mass actually mm. want and need and the questions mm. they might want to ask is intrinsically compromised, like with the best will in the world, like, you know, say Peston and Koonsberg are, um, <clears throat> you know, genuine and true in their desire mm. to um, hold politicians to account properly. Mm. I, you know, the argument I think I would make is that they're not necessarily capable of doing that, even if they did want to. Yeah, because they are so ingrained and so embedded yeah. in those in that in working... the ch chumocracy of yeah. like I mean yeah. chumocracy I think is a term that's well it's actually dangerously close to some of the twee <laughs> compound yeah. words we're going to be talking about today <laughs> like cockwomble but like you know the ch chumocracy was coined to sort of you know as a byword for what really should be labelled corruption of mm -hmm. like of like you know everyone at the top uh, in terms of power and. Uh, wealth kind of knowing each other and helping each other out and like nepotism and like yeah, you know all of those kind exactly. of slightly shady kind of ways that power operates through like often we talk about cultural capital um but i think that social capital the, the idea like pierre bourdieu's idea of like social mm. social and cultural capital mm. i think social capital is actually so strong like so not i don't want to say more important but in terms of like how we understand power dynamics mm. it is so important it's not really so much anymore i don't think about whether or not you know beethoven or you know what a baby grand piano looks like yeah you know that, that allows you to like mingle with the top echelons of society yeah. and gain power it's about the fact that like if you go to a school which is a boarding school mm -hmm. and you pay loads of money for it like a friend of mine was like working in tv and in order to get a foot in the door in TV, literally just go on the Facebook alumni page of the boarding school and mm. type in, hi, does anyone know any opportunities in TV? <laughs> and that's how you get it. That's season. how she got a job. <laughs> like, fair enough, you know, like if that's we... open to her as a way. But like, you know, that I think that it's all about how we operate in terms of the social dynamics and power structures. Like that's how you gain power in society. Yeah, I mean, the old, the old school tie is a sort of as an avatar for like privilege and the way it self-perpetuates it's probably quite a useful one mm. really and it is a commonly used one it is a universal term and you know that applies to journalism the field in which Robert Peston operates mm -hmm. in so much like yeah. you know I mean without getting too sidetracked I've always often said and will repeat again like if the mass ranks of the British press, if someone was to do a serious class analysis mm. or even not even class analysis but like class through education and mm. looked at how what proportion of employed journalists or regularly published journalists a went to private school b went to oxbridge yeah uh, and you know i went to oxford to and i could so i can i can attest to this <laughs> like the you know i i am regularly shocked by the number of people mm. that went to oxford specifically or mm. you know less so cambridge um mm. weirdly the Those stats people... is something crazy, like ninety percent or something bonkers like that. So someone has done it. Someone has done it. Yeah. Really? yeah oh, okay. Yeah. Well, they they ought to. Um, yeah, it's it's really necessary because it it reveals how how incapable actually mm. uh, the press as a corp as a corp mm. a core corpus a collective as a group of people <laughs> as mm. a demographic mm. are capable of providing the insights, asking the right questions mm. that sort of that would do what the press is supposed to do, which is speak on behalf of, you know, a, a complex and diverse and society of millions, as opposed to, like, 
the people that we knew at uni. <laughs> mm. Well, it's yeah. interesting because when you're talking about Robert Peston and you're kind of saying he's kind of positioning himself more as like a voice of the people, mm. he's positioning himself as a voice of like, not like people in, I don't know, I wouldn't say necessarily like the north of England yeah. or Scotland. He's positioning himself very specifically as the voice of a particularly strong and kind of powerful, like, like I don't know, like a, like middle class, yeah. aspiring middle class, like voice, you know? This kind of like liberal voice, basically. That is who he represents. I mean, and I think his the WTF book like does reveal because I think as you know, as a they're, they're supposed to be completely unbiased or whatever. Like I think it, uh, in when the people like Kunzberg and Peston when they're asking those questions, it's quite clear that you know to take another prominent example, someone like Andrew Marr has very un. It's like it doesn't take much work to to discern what his politics are. Like mm. he is a old school establishment liberal. Um, he fully sort of supported Tony Blair's <laughs> invasion of Iraq mm -hmm. when he was BBC political editor. Like these people are, actually don't take that make that much effort to even pretend a lot of the time. Um, and with Peston, like you know, here is a book WTF that's effectively about like God, everything's gone, everything's gone mad since twenty sixteen. <laughs> You've got Trump <laughs> and Corbyn and Brexit, as, and you know, as if these are all literally the same thing. You know, mm -hmm. like as opposed to like developments in politics, which in w different ways might seem surprising, but mm. actually have you know quite explicable roots mm. that if you've been paying attention sooner as the one of the most senior political journalists in the country you probably shouldn't be that surprised by it. you mm. probably shouldn't be saying mm. what the fuck about um let's just have a little um let's hear that from this voice of the people just very briefly with a little snippet from wtf which i uh, rather enjoyed the uh yeah intellectual powerhouse of the brexit era turning his attention in wtf to the rise of big tech, which you know is one of the defining, defining kind of developments in the in the way that um, our our lives are lived and our mm -hmm. kind of po po political economy is run. Quote: Lord Adair points out that the creation of a network like Facebook, which connects hundreds of millions of people across the world, is the equivalent of magic. <laughs> Imagine, he says, that you invented a spell like abracadabra. Or my personal favourite, the magnificent Sooty's catchphrase, Izzy Wizzy, let's get busy. And that... Ah. Cash just banging your head on the table. So, yeah, sorry, let's just go back. You invented a spell like abracadabra, or indeed, Izzy Wizzy, let's get busy. And that spell allowed people to see and talk to each other all over the world for free. If Sooty could have patented his spell and could have charged a tiny amount for each time we use it to speak to each other. <laughs> for some reason. Which, why do we do? We don't do that. <laughs> why would Sooty do that? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't even Sooty, stop it. <laughs> Sooty and his intellectual, like, IP copyright. It doesn't even work as a metaphor. No, it doesn't what... make any sense at all. <laughs> I don't know what he's supposed to be getting at. It's actually brilliant, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so mad. Why would, like, as if we're all saying, Izzy Wizzy, let's get busy to each other yeah. all the time as well. Like, <laughs> that is a good metaphor for using Skype somehow yeah. or something, or, like, using <laughs> video calling. Um, anyway, if Sooty could have patented his spell and could have charged a tiny amount for each time we use it to speak to each other, he would today be the richest little bear in the world. <laughs> the point is that the likes of Google or Uber or Facebook are exactly like magic in that sense. <laughs>
What? T- what's who wrote TF? That? Uh, who wrote that? I can't. I can't imagine he actually he did. wrote that. That's Robert Peston. Wow. The point. The point is, I think that with is... star writers like that, no, they're not being edited because the point is, it's being bought on the strength of his name and his profile, which yeah. is massive. Uh, but also, crucially, on that title, which. Uh, but yeah, isn't that a isn't that an insight into one of the great the great brains of our period? <laughs> Google is like magic. I mean, honestly, I I will. I, just, I love the reference. Do you remember? There's, yeah. There was this bear. There was this show about this bear, and he had a magic wand. What? And I've just been thinking about that lot a lot in the context of Facebook recently. And I don't know why. And everyone's like, Robert, please stop. Yeah, why? Stop smoking ayahuasca. Yeah, whatever. honestly, yeah. Do you, How... do you even smoke ayahuasca? I don't know. I think he's found a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, utterly extraordinary and completely useless as a way of explaining oh the rise of big tech. That's like, why I love it. It's all, I, guess, I think there's a number of things here that I find really interesting. One, I've been thinking, right, about swear words in titles. Mm-hmm. And I think they're obviously a bit of a like canny move by the publishing industry as a way to make the book stand out, yeah. you know, as a way to be like... Think about that cover, WTF in yeah, capitals. Yeah. yeah, and I think it really works with an acronym like WTF because, like you said, you don't have to explain mm. it, whereas... Uh, in preparation for this, I was going through titles with swear words in the titles. Great, love it. And it's really embarrassing because, one, like a lot of the publishers can't work out when you write about the book whether or not to star out the bits of the word that are swear words. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. You, so, do I want the shock effect yeah. do of I the want word to, fuck yeah. on the title cover? Or do I want cover? it to be F star star K? Because we don't want to offend anybody while also trying to, you know, yeah, get exactly that. sort of a bit of cachet for offending people. Exactly. Like, we kind of want to do both, and we, but we're not really sure how to do it it's as, like, like it's, yeah, it's, in it's, the industry. It's a complete lack of the courage of your convictions, and essentially. That, and that's why I think you often see... Um, I think you often see swear words in the titles of books that are either, like, political and therefore mm-hmm. extremely dateable. Mm-hmm. Like, who would buy that book now? Surely no one. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. post-pandemic, who's going to buy it? Like, I, I don't... It does open itself up to a, to a sequel quite easily, though. Oh, there we go. Right? Yeah, WTF2. Like, you know, yeah. Two, <laughs> Step up two, to du- the streets. Two... <laughs> I was going to say 2W2F, but, like, <laughs> but that, doesn't, that doesn't make any... <laughs> That doesn't make any sense, does it? But yeah, step up to the streets. Um, but is... you know, it's like, it's that, right? It's mm. like, it's dateable. So like, yeah, we could have a sequel to it, but mm. like political books, but also self-help They've got books. a shelf life, yeah. Yeah, they haven't got a really long shelf life and there's just so many. So how are you going to like take them or make them seem extraordinary? So there are a number of like weird ones I found that I think are quite Oh yeah, fun. hit me with some of them. And then you have to tell me your favourite one. Okay. Uh Rude bitches make me tired. <laughs> Slightly profane and entirely logical answers to modern etiquette di- dilemmas. Rude, rude, rude bitches. What? Rude bitches make me tired. Tired. <laughs> why is that? Why is that an etiquette issue? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe if you're a rude bitch and you're making people tired. It's oh, I see. Issue. How not to be a rude bitch and make people tired? Maybe it's that. Yeah, maybe it's that. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine being like, yeah, I know I'm a rude bitch, but it makes people tired. And that's, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. I, I'm just, I Too feel, tired I feel to sorry for my friends who are so tired all the time <laughs> by me being a rude bitch. <laughs> but I? now I've got this etiquette manual. I'm going to learn. I mean, do you buy it for someone else? Is that an insulting thing to buy for someone else? Look, as a Listen rude bitch, yeah. happy birthday, <laughs> yeah. rude bitch. 
Uh, my I'm, friend, rude bitch. My friend, rude bitch. I feel tired around you. <laughs> and uh, I want you to make me feel less tired by being less of a rude bitch. Oh, my God. Okay. Wow. Right. That's one. Confusing concept. Buy yourself the fucking lilies for you in fucking has start oh, out. Oh. And other rituals to fix your life from someone who's been there. Right, who's <laughs> bought themselves the fucking lilies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, the self, world of self-help books is... I know. I'm, ...an endless and extremely... I don't want to say lucrative necessarily, because I don't think any non-fiction publishing is particularly lucrative these days, but more lucrative than most mm. <laughs> form mm. of publishing, isn't it? Do you know um, what? Self-help li- literature is the only thing that I refuse to buy in book form mm-hmm. because it's just too embarrassing on the sh- on your shelves. It's like... Or on the tube, as I saw yesterday, <laughs> with someone someone was carrying a book called Sod Off. <laughs> where, and I was like, wow, okay, that's appropriate for the episode we're recording this weekend. <laughs> um, and then when I go- came to Google it today, I was like, oh, why was that book called Sod Off? What was, it? what was the idea? You know, is that a politics book? Is it, mm. you know, I don't see how it could be a self-help book. Turns out it is a mm. self-help book. The full title is How to Tell Anxiety to Sod Off 40 Ways to Get Your Life Back. But what they've done is they made the word sod off huge and the rest of the right, title, right. How to Tell Anxiety yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. Sod Off, like much smaller so that it really, the sod off bit jumps out. Um, but anyone sitting near that person on the tube won't have thought, oh, this person's trying to get a handle on their anxiety. They would have thought they, <laughs> they like pathetic swearing like just into pathetic swearing the same author by the way and this is even more inappropriate i think the uh, same author wrote a book previously called how to tell depression to piss off (laughs) 40 ways to get your life back and it's just so it's just oh piss off depression yeah yeah (laughs) it's just such a i just find that so unpleasant as a way of dealing as a way of like approaching the subject of you know, well, of depression, which yeah. is, you know, has warranted many books and will warrant many more. And, mm. you know, good, good in a way. And mm. it's good that people are trying to tackle their mental health problems. But the the tweeners of that... But is it also response, about oh. relatability here? Because I'm yeah, also wondering whether, so. like, in the Robert Peston title, the WTF, it's a way of being like, hey, I'm relatable. I say WTF too. I'm mm. not bound by the stuffy rules of Westminster. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah, that there is like you're spot on, a relatability thing. Like not only am I, sh- not only is there a shock factor, but yeah, I think depression should piss off. Don't we all? Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's kind of like we're I all speak in this your together. language. Yeah, yeah, and I think familiar familiarity. A familiarity, yeah. and I think that's why self help does it quite a lot. They have to make themselves seem like they're speaking your language. Mm. You know, because we all swear all the time, right? And yeah. it's a way of kind of like being like, I'm in your brain. I'm in your mind. And it's also... <laughs> I also say, I also want my depression to piss off. Like, I think with know? WTF, there's, yeah, there's also, there's a, there's a, an extra sense of informality because it is an internet, a sort of internet mm-hmm. acronym. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's bringing Robert Peston sort of avuncular, mm. like posh, older man mm. uh, persona down to a sort of more of a level of like, well, we all actually even I swear, even I even I swear, Kasha, yeah, and I <laughs> and I sometimes swear online yeah. in acronym form. Um, whereas the and you know I think you could make a good defence. I mean, you sort of did just there make a good defence of those incredibly cringy book titles about depression and anxiety, in that like it's opening people people who might not buy a book that says depression in big letters on the on the I cover. have depression. Yeah, I have depression. <laughs> 
please steer, please steer clear. Yeah. You know, like instead, instead, it's like, no, look, okay, this is this is approachable. It's familiar. It's every day. Yeah. Um, and that that is probably if you're like working for the marketing department for that publishing house and therefore have been involved in coming up with that. Yeah. Awful title. I think the defense you'd make of it, if we had our, our guest on today mm. to sort of defend mm. all of these terrible titles, they would probably say, well, look, we want to make something that often seems alienating to people. Yeah. Um, and I suppose that's fair enough, but it doesn't mean I have to like it. No, no, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I, I kind of, I don't know, I think like with that, those kind of like self helpy things as well, I just couldn't read a book like that on the train. I'd feel yeah. too exposed. Yeah, I mean, it's you exposing I mean? you as a as a cringy person as well as yeah. somebody with mental health problems. <laughs> yeah. Not only <laughs> do I first, say sod off, the first is but the I also problem. have anxiety. There's nothing yeah. embarrassing about having anxiety. No. However, yeah. there's something embarrassing <laughs> about carrying a book like that. The other the other self-helpy ones that I... And I noted these down one day in WH Smith Travel, Waterstones Travel, whatever it is, in the bookshops you get in the airport, mm. um, which I'm always interested to see as someone who's written a couple of non-fiction books and is, has a lot of you know, annoyed feelings about the publishing industry. I always want to see what is actually selling and it's not, and I'm usually depressed mm. when I find the answer, uh, which is appropriate because then there I could buy a book about how to treat my depression with the mm. publishing industry called something <laughs> like The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Oh um, my God, can I just say on that book title, yeah. it's perfect that you were like, you know, in the, they always appear in these weird transient spaces that are like mm. WH Smith's in like, I don't know, airports or mm. like train stations or whatever. And my friend... His mum came down to see him and she was like literally going back up on the train and they were in this W.A. Smith or whatever. And then she came up to him and was like, oh, look at this. And he was like, yeah. And it was a subtle art of not giving a fuck. And she was like, I bought it for you. And he was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> why That's such a weird this? thing to do. Yeah, why have you bought me this? And I think she was just like, I just thought it'd be nice. And he was like, okay. And then she just got, off the, got on the train. <laughs> It's like fine. <laughs> See, what drives me crazy is like people like you know this is my like bitterness as like a non a person that writes I think slightly more you know considered nonfiction books. Um, that's me being being a smug wanker. But like, is that people will just buy that without having just just because of the stupid title? Yeah. No yeah. one, will, you know that your friend probably won't read it. Um, <laughs> You know, like it's like those books just fly off the shelf because they're in that position. Those transient spaces are where books are sold a lot yeah. of the time. Like, you know, the idea of an airport novel is that you have turned up at the airport and you've not, you've forgotten to bring anything to read. Or yeah. you thought ahead, ah, I'm rushing to get to the airport. I'll get something at the airport. I'll get some magazines. I'll buy a book at the airport. And it is just the most sort of half-assed purchase yeah and there's always you know they'll always you know they often are heavily discounted or they'll be like two they're like two for one offers mm. a, a huge you can part buy two of, books of two uh, bad books that you won't you won't read fuck. well you could then also you know buy you know the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck which is oh, the right. sequel yeah. you know yeah or Amazing. every or everything is fucked calm the fuck down my shit therapist <laughs> or get your shit together all of these <laughs> Are book titles that I noted down from the like WH Smith sort of top ten list oh, in, in, the, in the airport bookshop. Can I just say though, like I don't know, I I wonder whether we're not overthinking this, but I'm I'm thinking about the social relations that also exist around these books because mm. obviously in that example with my mate, his mum bought it for him as a gift. Yeah, and I feel like my mum would probably buy me something like that. Like you know, what mm -hmm. do, what do your parents really know about you? I guess like with him, like he's into like punk mm -hmm. music. Uh, she probably thought... So he likes swearing. So, you know, oh, <laughs> he's he likes, already, punk, punk he's music. He, he likes transgressive like, music. Yeah. 
you know, so he likes, you know, he likes this kind of like, I don't know, stuff with a bit of an edge. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'll just get him this book. He's into the punk ethos. Get him the subtle <laughs> of not giving a fuck. You know, do you know what I mean? I like, do. I'm really glad that you brought up the punk ethos because I think we need to just log that and remember that as a... Because it's know, very brew dog energy, isn't it? Yeah, it's well, very like punk rock squirrel kind of <laughs> energy. <laughs> you know? I think it's quite a 21st century thing that actually explains where a lot of this swearing comes yeah. from, where the cockwomble stuff comes from. Um, and let's cast our minds back 50 years to to the actual essence of punk in the 1970s, mm. um, the transgressive, because that's, you know, that's sort of in a way the the peak in the modern era, perhaps, of like transgressive words, art, music, mm. ideas, you know, even down to some punk bands like wearing a swastika because it was the one thing you shouldn't do, you know. Mm. Um, and our relationship with swearing or like, the ability of a swear word to shock has diminished rapidly since mm. that period, I think. Well, it's like I, the Sex Pistols, like, obviously, never mind the bollocks. Yeah. But also that they went on that show, was it the Bill? I yeah. want to say Bill Grundy. But yeah, that's it was a Bill Grundy. Oh, I was like, but that's a character from The Archers. <laughs> I think it might be both. No, it's yeah. not. It's definitely not both. You're, you're, but you're they right. went on that show and then, like, he was like... They started swearing and then he was like, go on then, keep swearing. Yeah. And they were like, you're a rotter. Or yeah. like, you know, they kept they kept swearing. No, you're right. That's actually, I'm so glad you remember that as like such an important, you know, British cultural historical moment mm. in the history of swearing. That mm. is, that's a, a great, great example of how, um, you know, and it's the sort of a period when pre, just pre-Thatcher, but you've got a conservative party that is reacting to like, the post-war explosion in in youth culture, mm. in, te in the invention of the teenager, in transgressive behaviour amongst all the different sort of British youth subcultures from Teddy Boys and you know and so on, through to to that moment of punk, that there is a big pushback going on. They've lost that battle now. Mary Whitehouse, <laughs> as the censorious kind yes. of heart and soul of like British cultural and social conservatism, mm. you know, leads a one woman campaign against you know bits of flesh on tv mm. against swear words on tv against unchristian values on tv i mean i yeah i, should, I mean because that also kind of chimes with the idea of like declinism right mm -hmm. like the idea that like it wasn't just the industries that were declining it wasn't yes. just the you know that the factories were closing down or being sold off or that there were like you know strikes and that there were you know issues around labor essentially mm. it wasn't just that but it was also tied into this idea of a uh, coexisting kind of stream of moral declinism, yes. right? That's kind of where, yeah, so well these said. arguments kind of fit in. No, so well said. And like, I my contention would be, and I'm sort of making this up off the top of my head, is that sort of at some point in the 2000s, or maybe this is sort of a new Labour thing of them being a bit, you know, cool, uh, mm. uh, that battle's lost. Like that John, you know, you've got the Thatcher and then the Major period, as a last gasp of trying to um, push back against an idea of to, to restore Victorian values, which mm. is something that Thatcher and Major both talked about. Um, obviously, we're not going to waste time critiquing the idea of Victorian values here because it was a time of great uh, secularization in which children were sent up chimneys. What, what those are your values? Like, yeah. you know, but yeah, that was a, it was an idea that was put out there and it was against things like swearing. You're absolutely mm. right. I remember even. Um, there was a single release by the Welsh rock band Super Animals 
that I bought on CD single when I was like 15 in mm. 1996 called The Man Don't Give a Fuck. And uh, it, it has a sample of some old like uh, 70s rock song, possibly by Steely Dan, I think, that says, you know, we don't give a fuck about anybody else. And that is just on a loop. So it kind mm. of, the word fuck appears in the song like 75 times mm. or something. And even that caused controversy. It's just mm. like it's just like a small, it's just a little Welsh rock band who like who are a bit psychedelic and mm. like, use a, like you know vaguely dance music adjacent have just a sample of someone saying fuck a lot. But okay. like, but like the fact, the idea that that would like upset anybody in 2023 mm. is absurd. Mm. But like, even in 1996, it was it did cause a stir. Mm. You know, they, it was, I think it was possibly banned from some record shops or something because yeah. it said fuck on the cover. And, but I think it also oh. ties into... <laughs> so silly. <laughs> but it ties into some feedback, right, that we both got, that yeah. we both had. Oh, yes. Where um, my dad was like to me, like, oh, yeah, I really like your podcast, but I think there's a little bit too much swearing. <laughs> Which my mum said yeah. as well, <laughs> exactly word for word. You do have to swear quite so much. Mm. And I, I don't know. Do but for you, me, do I you, don't even notice it. Do I'm... you apologise if you swear in the company of your parents? No. See, I, I, I think I would occasionally be told off for it as a teenager. We, we radicalised my mum, so she into nev- swearing. Yeah, she never used to swear, and then we would swear so much, me and my brothers, that <laughs> she started swearing, and now she swears worse than us. That's so funny. Maybe not worse, but you know, she, she's like, you know, she's like really. She really took to it. <laughs> yeah, my parents would only... They're the sort of people that would only swear if they, like, stubbed their toe or, like, right. dropped a, you know, glass yeah. or something, you know, in an exclamation. And I totally see... It's interesting, like, I think for a lot of people who'd say, like, you shouldn't swear too much, not because of religious moral reasons, mm. but because these words should have power mm. and they should be... And you're removing their power to shock. Mm. Um, by using them all the fucking time in every fucking sentence, mm. and I can sort of see the argument for that. But saying that, and we should we should get on to talk about the c word, which, if it's all right, I will actually just say cunt. Like the attitudes, because <laughs> I know because I just, different female friends have very different attitudes to it. And I, I want to know what you think. But I was just going to say that in Glasgow uh, and most of Scotland, as far as I know, you could just use it as like a sort of replacement for mate. Yeah, yeah. Um, I use it all the time. I yeah. think it's a great word. I think yeah. it's, but they don't, they don't feel that across the pond. And no, in America, no. it's like super offensive, which I don't understand. Well, yeah, I guess different, different linguistic history and tradition. But I'm, I'm not sure at what point we parted ways in our use of the word "cunt." Um, but also, I know, okay. Brit- I know British women that are offended by it, definitely, who are like our age, or well, not offended by it so much as they're like, you shouldn't just bandy that around super freely because, because it is, it is sexist. No, the thing is, though, I disagree. I don't think that... I, I think it's all about context, right? So, mm-hmm. like, words change their meanings constantly. And just because... Like, yes. okay, like the word fucking. Yeah. I'm not thinking about people actually fucking when I say, <laughs> oh, I've stubbed my fucking toe. I'm not thinking... Because it doesn't make sense contextually no, at really, all, right? Really doesn't. <laughs> same, as the word, same as the word cunt. Like, if you're like, you're right, cunt? Like, you're yeah. not... You're not... Think, you're like... You're not thinking about like a woman's genitals no. as you call someone that, very, right? Very odd if you were. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just really fucking strange. That would be really, <laughs> really strange. So I think the thing is, is that just because of the origins of a particular word, yeah. just because of where they come from. I mean, also, because the thing is, 
we don't really critique where like loads of other words come from. So I think idiot and, and yeah. stuff are actually actually are about people with like um, learning difficulties yeah. historically. Or I like think I think I actually watched something once as well. I remember in the dark recesses of my mind. I think I watched something on like Joe Brand talking about the word cunt. Mm, I think, mm. and she was talking about how she was saying how the word vagina is actually more sexist and patriarchal in terms of where it's come from, mm-hmm. but it is now used in a clinic really? like and it's now used in a medical setting yeah. so like that's the official it's the word. acceptable whereas word. i think she was making the case huh. that the word cunt is actually better because um it's like because of where it comes from is less like the actual Chaucer. meaning yeah, yeah it's like it's less less patriarchal in its meaning oh, so you that's, know, that's a really that's totally flipped upside down what my sense of yeah the meaning of those words were but then again the resonances but, but then again because of context and also about pop popular perception like the thing is mm. right like words only mean something if we all agree that they mean those things yeah, yeah, right because yeah. they're not they're just nonsense really aren't they it's just about communication it's right just a, a noise it's just noise <laughs> yeah it's just like the way that your mouth thank you formulates. for listening to our noise <laughs> please subscribe to our Patreon. Um, so it's like you know i think that's that's the thing it's about the context because mm. clearly some of these like i don't know female friends of yours um have kind of encountered it in the way that is uh, like offensive mm. or it has an offensive meaning. And if there is a consensus around that, even if it's all hearsay, even if yeah. it's just, even if it's not really based on like true meaning or whatever, yeah. even if it's popular myth, popular memory, that changes the context of the word as well. It, yeah, it really does. We've had a debate in uh, the football team I support, AFC Wimbledon. One of their, well, two of their chants have recently uh, that the fans sing and have sung for quite a long time have come under scrutiny recently because of sexist language, essentially. And like, Mm. you know, I can't remember where this idea came from, but there was from the club, probably like, Mm. maybe you should stop singing this song and you should stop singing this song. So I'm going to tell you what the, what the lyrics are. Uh, One of them goes, Oh, South London. Oh, South London is wonderful. Is wonderful. Oh, South London is wonderful. And wait, wait for it. It's full of tits, Fanny and Wombles. Oh, South London is wonderful. <laughs> now, my main problem with that historically has been nobody should say the word Fanny ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's too, it's just too, it just makes it too cringe. Uh, and it, I think that song probably goes back to like the 80s based on yeah. the fact that nobody used to yeah. say words anymore. Um, but we've been, it's been interesting talking to my, you know, I, I would like to say like good feminist ally, male friends who go to Wimbledon about, how, whether that should, I mean we I think we all agree that it should be we should change the lyrics not like banning songs is sort of quite an mm. annoying thing to do and we all want to sing that South London is wonderful mm. but like w- how would we feel or when female friends come along to watch football with us you know one of my friends Simon was saying that you know he, he wouldn't feel comfortable being in the stand while that was being sung with one or two of his female friends that are mm. interested in coming um because one of the Wimbledon podcasts was saying like, no, no, it's like, if anything, it's pro-feminist because it's saying how great it is that there's, there's <laughs> that we've got these like, because we've got yeah. all these great women in South London. <laughs> like, yeah, but it's sort of reducing them to body parts. And, yeah, you know. uh, yeah. But, but a lot of it's about the actual word itself that is, you know, seen as a problem rather than the message, which is interesting because, you know, there are, and I think about this a lot. I was at the football yesterday I think about this a lot because one of the great things about going to watch football live mm. is you are kind of cathartically getting off the stresses of the week mm. and calling the linesman a cunt, basically, yeah, yeah, you know, which yeah. I, which I did yesterday. <laughs> or no, I didn't because there was like, a, there was a sitting next to me was like a dad and his seven year old son. And I, mm. that did make me change my behavior mm. a little bit. 
Um, I think I also would refrain from using the word cunt in the football because, again, it's a traditionally male, toxically male environment yeah. where more and more women are coming along. Well, do you know what? I am actually thinking about this now because my, like, I don't care about using the word cunt at all. And I kind of wonder whether that's because of my gendered experiences mm. growing up with, like, two older brothers. Mm -hmm. So I went away recently and I said, I really, I'm going to go take a piss. I didn't mm -hmm. realise that was a weird thing to say because that's what my uh -huh. brothers always say. Okay. I'm going to take a piss. Yeah. So I just thought everyone said that. Okay. And my friend was like, oh, I don't think I've ever heard a woman say, I'm going to take a piss. And <laughs> that's I was so like, funny. I was like, what? Really? I, yeah. I like, it completely blew my mind. I just never thought that it was like, not inappropriate, but like not something women say. But he, yeah, he yeah. wasn't saying... Unladylike, Yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't saying that. He wasn't saying, oh, that's unladylike. I think he was just commenting on the fact that he doesn't really hear... Yeah, really make an observation about the language yeah, yeah, itself. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really interesting. I'm trying to think, like, yeah, what the women in my life would say if they were going to the toilet now. <laughs> what, the, what the different, like, words that you would use are. So, so glad to have started yeah, yeah, this train yeah. of thought. I'm, I'm going to be observing this closely when we have, have these conversations in... In, in future. Um, so I I want to ask you about, I want to ask you two things, right? First one is, do you remember the first time you swore? Because ooh. I had a friend who, the first time she said fuck in secondary school, she cried. She was, <laughs> she, With joy? No, like she was cathartic just like, oh joy. God, I can't believe, I think for her it was one of those moments. Like, oh my God, I'm not a child anymore. I'm a oh, teenager. Oh wow, and I just so profound. And I think it was like really like, oh my God, you know, like like almost like losing your virginity, like a moment that you're like, something different, something's changed. Dear diary, today yeah. I said fuck for yeah. the first time. But I remember, <laughs> I remember that my brother had a uh, Beano wall calendar. Cool, sick <laughs> and, guy. Yeah, sick guy. And I had a brown felt tip pen and I wrote the word fuck on, on the bottom of the calendar. Yes. But then I was so... Like, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that. I covered it up with another poster. <laughs> and then, like, later, he took the poster down. And he, wrote, he was like, who wrote fuck on my... Who wrote fuck on my Beano poster? <laughs> who wrote <laughs> fuck on my Beano poster? <laughs> that's, then, that's a book title, And then my mum blamed him for it. My mum was like, why did you write fuck on the Beano like, it wasn't me, and I was like silent. And this might be the first time that I've ever admitted this. He's gonna listen to this, and he's gonna be like, "It was fucking you. I knew it was you." All these years, <laughs> that is so good. Um, I had a similar. I actually do remember. I don't remember the first time I swore, but a similar to your story. Mm. Remember that myself and a school friend, probably George, would be George, wouldn't it? Um, from primary school, lent out of my bedroom window and with chalk wrote the word <laughs> shit or fuck on the brick of our of my like underneath the window frame basically I don't know we like lent out basically early graph kind of vibes um you know it, I don't think it was dangerous but we were probably having to reach out of the window and um uh, I was probably egged on by George, I think. I'm going to blame him and assume he's not a Patreon subscriber. So he'll now <laughs> never never be sort of, this won't catch up with me. Um, and uh, I think my dad noticed it pretty much as soon as he got home, which is odd that he did, because it's quite small writing. We hadn't done it like, you know, yeah. like that guy, 10 foot, you know, with his massive mm. kind of uh, letters. Um, yeah, got in quite a lot of trouble for that. Did but you? why? But why, again, why did we do, why, why <laughs> just writing a swear word down? <laughs> Like, this is what we did for the internet. If we've got any Gen Z listeners, like, there wasn't much to do apart from just chalk the word shit in places. Or fuck, I actually can't remember Fuck on a Beano calendar. <laughs> yeah. On a Beano poster. 
Um, um, okay, so that's the first thing I wanted to ask you yes. about. And the second thing I wanted to ask you about is something that we've alluded to throughout this conversation, but the emergence of compound swearing. Yes. I think is fascinating. And um, I think, like, I don't know. I kind of also, I think I think I kind of pin it down in that kind of uh, early-ish 2000s. I think it's very kind of like mock the week, Russell Howard energy. <laughs> and then I think it's kind of... Like, I think now people kind of see it and they kind of groan a bit, but not a particular, like, I guess you want, maybe you want to call them a subculture, mm. a kind of like liberal, mainly like remain kind of yes. supporting, you know, they're kind of like online media personalities, yes. maybe a kind of... Yeah, people you know, like the author of the book 52 Times Britain Was a Bell End. Kind of that, that yeah. kind of thing. Who's like on the, he's sort of broadly on the left. Mm. And broadly approaching things from a point of view that I would agree with, mm. you know, it is a book which highlights like British colonial like transgressions, in my view, horrendous to like horrendously like bathetic, like mm. as in bathos, to take like genuinely horrific kind of stories of British tr historical transgressions and then put them in a book that has got the word bell end on the cover. I like know. you. Like oh, thing, when, thing when a bit we do, when, is like oh, like it's like when your so mate when your mate does something a bit silly after school, yeah. or like when your mate is like annoying someone, or like just being a bit of a dick. It's right? not. It's not like failing to compensate freed slaves. No, that's one of yeah. the fifty-two times Britain was no. a bellend was when it failed when alive. it didn't compensate freed slaves. Just like how how can you? It's not that there is no room for fucking levity in mm. like history and or in politics. Mm. Uh, you know, obviously there is. It's like horrible history, like you know, a yeah. bit of horrible histories, which is like you know. But I you're think writing for adults, and you're an adult. Yeah. Grow, grow the fuck up. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, nah. So on this subject of compound swearing, though, um, yeah, you're, you've absolutely, I think, zeroed in on exactly one of the uh, one of the most cursed things about today's cursed object, but about this sort of whole. The tapestry behind it mm. and the rise of these compound swears, which which I think, you know, aligns, as you say, it's the 21st century, it aligns with what we were discussing earlier about, you know, swearing used to be transgressive and now it isn't. Mm. You know, that, 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 that a, we've been on a journey into a certain type of post-modernity, you know, to the point that even those conservative, mor like conservative moralists aren't moralising in that direction anymore. Mm. I've got a piece that I found on this subject from Esquire magazine called, uh, the title is There is a Crisis in British Swearing mm. <laughs> by someone called Tom <laughs> Nicholson. So Tom Nicholson writes, I'm, just, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's a fairly short piece and it is worth reading, but, um, but I'll just sort of summarise it. He sort of refers to, uh, like, the, we've sort of gone beyond the bastards, pricks and wankers, he writes, and, there's, and, and instead sort of replaced them with words like, Cockwomble, as you mentioned at the beginning, the as he puts it, the breakout star. Uh, and he said, jump it, but if you jump into any Brexit adjacent Twitter thread, you'll see more of these words. Wank puffin, knob socket, shit flute, spunk trumpet. I mean, it's just so embarrassing, <laughs> Ooh, isn't it? Yeah. Um and his his uh his contention is that this the rise of this perfectly aligns with Brexit, actually. Mm. That there's something uh th the, the people are trying to be Malcolm Tucker. They're trying to, you know, which is, you know, the character from the thick of it who swears so much, so often, often in quite creative ways. Very creative, yeah. And I often found that very, you know, I love that series. It's 
brilliantly written. Mm. It's, you know, one of Jesse Armstrong's many triumphs along with um, Peep Show and, and Succession and so on. Um, it, it's almost like, you know, the creation of Malcolm Tucker and the writing of his dialogue was this wonderful, wonderful thing. And it's given rise to, unfortunately, like the people that watched that and enjoyed some of the people that watched that and enjoyed it went on to be very hardcore FBPE people, mm. very pro-Remain people that um, decided they too could be Malcolm Tucker. Um, and as, as, as our man here, Tom Nicholson, writes, the thing is, this is decidedly untuckerish and suffocatingly twee. Despite the apparent coarseness, this, in, quote, or inverted commas, inventive swearing is on the same continuum as swing dancing and having live, laugh, love wall decals in your kitchen, suitable only for new European readers who really, really, really like Blackadder and call each other sir on Twitter. It's not clear where the urge to formulate swear words which sound like surnames of minor Harry Potter characters came from, but it's been leapt on as a really easy way to make yourself sound a bit witty. Pick a swear word, add a slightly unexpected noun, launch it at Dominic Raab, and hey, you're a Radio 4 quiz show panellist. Again, perfectly aligning with your analysis here, Kasha. Um, oddly, for something so popular with the anti-Brexit hashtag FBPE gang, these insults seem weirdly Tory too. They're a bit too pleased with themselves, a bit too chummy, plummy, jolly good, pims o'clock bollocks. Certainly Boris Johnson, a man who never uses one word when three circular repetitive paragraphs will do, is a massive fan of an anachronistic insult, which is a th something, something I'd not thought of, Cash, mm. that, like, actually, this is quite a sort of Boris Johnson-y sort of thing to do. Okay, I'll carry on reading. The popular theory is that Johnson's bumbling professor persona is a misdirection under which he does his power-grabbing thing with impunity, and the sense that he's just been bundled out of the drones club, as in Jeeves and Worcester, is a key part of his shtick. Take his greatest hit, a grandstanding description of Jeremy Corbyn as a, quote, mutton-headed old mugwump, unquote, which I'd forgotten about that, but it's... Mm. This is this is the one bit of... In, this, this article, you know, mostly you're, I'm reading it going, yeah, 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 I know all this, but he's made a really good point here. Mm. This is actually quite Tory. It's quite, it's quite old school, uh, yeah. old, old, sort of old public schoolboy kind of vibes. Um... Both Mugwump and Cockwomble are about the maverick genius of the insulter rather than the crimes or failings of the insulted. Both are absolutely delighted with their own linguistic gymnastics mm. and both are completely insufferable. The idea that this kind of linguistic cut-and-shut job automatically puts whoever uses it in the same literary lineage as Dickens, Carroll and Woodhouse is a fallacy. Crucially, it's, all, it's also a case of reinventing the wheel. A solid agricultural English insult has an implicit poetry of its own and they do their job perfectly. To take one example, a prick is a prick. Drop it at the right time and the insult lands like a hand grenade. And that's because you know what it means without necessarily being able to fully articulate it. It means you're a prick, mate. End of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know, because I was just thinking there, when um, I've got a cousin in Poland and when we went over, when we would like go over there as kids, obviously we'd swear quite a lot. And he was just like... I just love the word dickhead. Like he was, just like, he was like, he was like, I'm just not like it's not really the meaning. He was mm. just like, yeah, which means like the way it sounds is great. It's like yes. it's that hand grenade thing. Just call someone a dickhead. You're a dickhead, mate. You're, you a, know, dickhead. you're a dickhead. That is more insulting. Yeah, than, than calling, any other. Calling any, someone a wank person. Yeah, or which, or indeed or a cunt. Really, I think as well. Yeah. Like, you know, that's a word that I would shout. At, you know, when I was feeling at my most sort of upset and angry mm. at a football match, you know, mm. it's like, you dickhead. Like that, and that... I think... It's more powerful, and it doesn't have any offensive connotations mm. of, of, you know... Same think, with wanker. 
I think I would kind of, I would kind of add to that analysis, which, you know, just more explicitly, because I think this was like definitely said, I would just add that I think actually this inventive swearing was really funny. Like it was like, I feel like in those kind of early years of Mock the Week, maybe it was like when I was that age, you know, it's kind of like politics-y, but like, you know, Russell Howard would probably say something like that. And I remember being like, haha, yeah, that's funny, you know? But you were 14. But I was 14. <laughs> and, and I feel like me and you don't find it funny because it feels dated. It feels like they didn't get the memo. It feels like for me, you know, that kind of groan, it felt like, yeah, this was funny, maybe in, I don't know, 2009. And it's not funny now. Yeah. And I don't know why you're still doing it. I'd love, I would absolutely love to get someone who says the word cockwomble on the show. Like genuinely, <laughs> I'd be, I'd love to know, why do you do it? Why do you still do it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't think I do want to speak to someone <laughs> called like Russ in, Russ in Cheshire or James Felton or... Um, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to talk about all the times Britain was a bell end, particularly. You can you can have them on as a guest, and I'll I'll just step out for that one. And on that note, <laughs> welcome today through this door. We've got Mr. FBP. But yeah, that's probably as good a time as any to wrap up um, because of this fictional uh, liberal type who's coming through the door um, to hang out with Kasha. Uh, thank you very much for listening <laughs> to this uh, swearier than usual episode of Cursed Objects. Apologies to Cash's dad and my mum. Yeah, um, sorry guys. <laughs> uh, but I hope the rest of you have enjoyed it. And uh, I think we actually were judicious in our use of swear words, right? But this is the first time. Ironically. Well, yeah, they've made swearing uncool, basically. That's the problem. <laughs> Whereas when we were eight years old, it was the coolest thing you could possibly do would be to write fuck on your brother's... Uh, Beano poster. Um, it's now it's now been it's now been co-opted. I mean, this is why this is why normcore is it exists really, isn't it? All the uncool people have stolen the stuff that used to be cool. Yeah. So now we all have to wear plain black Uniqlo clothes. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I'm really I'm charging them with that. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. And uh, that's... thanks, Super Tansky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, exactly. <laughs> now I can only wear Uniqlo. <laughs> Exactly. And yeah, we just have to be, and we are norm core in our use of language. That's the equivalent of wearing, like swearing less is the equivalent of wearing a black, all black Uniqlo clothes. Anyway, that's a, that's a strange little uh, deviation. <laughs> I've gone down at the end there, Cash. Sorry about that. Um, thanks very much for listening, everybody. As ever, um, please, please get out there and shout about cursed objects from the, from the rooftops. Uh, if you're listening to this, you uh, probably are a Patreon and you should have stickers already winging their way to you or indeed already be in your possession. If, if not, send us your address, please. Yeah, send us your address. We'll post them out to you. Yes, we um, will. Uh, if you, you know, want to pass those stickers around, um, then great. Otherwise, just stick them on the back of your phone like I have. Um, and I have two. Which one have you got on the back of yours? I've got the, I've got the houseplants one. Yeah, that one's fun. I've got the Holy Toast. Oh, nice. Just because it's so weird. Oh, that, that hand. It's so oh, freaky. Archie, I love Archie it. Bashford <laughs> creeped us the fuck out, our, our wonderful artist and designer friend. Um, and yeah, keep telling other people about the pod. And in the meantime, thanks so much for listening. Thanks, everyone. We love you. Bye. Bye.